You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. One of the verses that stand out to me in that passage is when, was when the Apostle Paul says, you were running so well, what happened? How many runners do we have in the room today? I better go change my sermon then. <laughs> How many you wish you were running? <laughs> You're like, man, I wish that was me. See, one of the things I love about Apostle Paul is that he often used this metaphor, this analogy of running. And for me, I love to run, you know? I love to run and get out because in that process of running and going out, it is so clearing for my head. While I'm on a run, I'm actually, I'm out processing at times. There's times I'll listen to a podcast I'll listen to a sermon. Sometimes I'll listen to some music that is wide and various in styles and genres. There's sometimes when I'm running that I'll just run in, in, in silence and just have that quiet time. How many parents can relate to some quiet time out there? You just want to run from the house sometimes. There's times that I'll go running with a friend. And while I'm running with a friend, I'll have just amazing conversation. It clears my head. It gets me out there. But sometimes it becomes so difficult to run. And the Apostle Paul, he hits this dead on where he says, you were running so well, what happened? How many of you have ever tried running and you hit a wall? How many every time you run you hit a wall? (laughs) This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's identifying there's this wall that has been hit. And even for me as a runner, there's times when I may be running, I may be feeling, man, I'm making some great strides. I'm getting better, I'm getting stronger. And then all of a sudden I hit a wall. One of my walls hit me one time on Christmas Eve. I was preparing for a half marathon that was coming up in February back in Northern Virginia. And I went out just doing an easy, short run. And about a mile and a half in, I hit a huge wall. I was supposed to do a 10-mile run that day, and I hit at a mile and a half. And so embarrassingly, I had to call my wife and say, honey, can you pick me up? And Stephanie said, you haven't been gone very long. But I hit my wall. For some reason, some unexplained reason, I hit the wall. And this is what Paul is talking about today. Because he's looking at this group, this Galatian church, and he's saying, you were going so well. What happened to you? See, trouble came, and we had this group of people that began to do what Paul called to hinder them. They were actually blocking them from running. They were actually blocking them in the freedom that they had through Christ. So Paul continues to hit this head on, and he's getting the Galatians together, and he's talking to all of us today, and he wants all of us to get back into this race, back into this journey that we are called to head out into as believers and followers of Christ And he does this by focusing on two things. So just two things today that I want to mine into, that I want to harvest into today. He's talking about as you run, there are two things that you have to do. The first thing you have to do is stand firm. Everyone say, stand firm. Stand firm. The second thing you need to do is you need to run free. Say, run free. Run free. You need to stand firm, and you need to run free. And these may seem like they are actually against each other. How do you stand firm and run free? But I think today you'll find out how these two actually complement each other, and they're actually very important. See, Paul starts off this chapter by saying, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, so stand firm. See, our posture is very important. Our posture and the way that we position ourselves is important even for our health. 
How many of you ever sat in a class and your teacher said, stop slouching? That happened to me every day, especially in math class. I would just sit there and I would slouch. And I even had teachers say, you know, someday you're going to pay for all that slouching you're doing in my class. Have you ever had a teacher like that? Maybe it only happened. Maybe it's just me. I don't my teacher was always on to me for slouching. And we know that the long-term effects, that when we don't take care of our posture, when we don't walk right, when we don't stretch our back out, we begin to have back issues by the time you get to my age, don't we? Any back issues out there today? Yeah, that got response. <laughs> because our posture is so important. But not only that, even our body language, our posture communicates what we're thinking. How do you feel when you're talking to somebody and they cross their arms in front of you and they just look at you like that? Does that pull you in? Or when they're leaning forward and they're like, their eyes are filled with excitement when you're talking about hockey or coffee and they just can't contain themselves because they're so excited. See, our body language, it communicates a lot. And as it relates to the gospel, it even shows how we feel about it. It shows if we're confident or insecure. It shows, are we accepting of it or are we rejecting it? Are we interested or distracted? That's why Paul starts off by saying, stand firm because you're standing firm on the gospel. See, the gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is massive. Because the gospel, it encompasses and it addresses my past, my present, and my future. See, sometimes we think the gospel is just something that addresses where we are right now today. But when we look at the gospel, and we've said this many times in this community, but the gospel, it actually answers the big questions in my life. Do you know what those big questions are? One of the big questions in life is, where did I come from? Who made me? And often another big question is, what happened? Why am I going through this right now? But see, the gospel answers the question of where did I come from? Who made us? God made us. The Bible says that we're made in his image. We're made in his image because he loves us and because he made us to have relationship with him. But it also answers the question of what happened. And what happened we talked a little bit about last week when we talked about the issue of sin. See, we rejected him. We rejected him, and this separated us from him. And I was talking about this one time on the bus with somebody, and they said, well, I haven't rejected God. What do you mean I rejected God? I'm not a sinner. And what I said to him, I said, ignoring somebody is the same thing as rejection. Have you ever been rejected by somebody, not because they were aggressive towards you, but they always ignored you, and they walked away? How does that feel? Think back to your school days, or maybe you're in school. There's somebody that you're trying to be a friend, and every time you walk towards them, they walk away. Every time you try to talk to them, they silence you, and they walk away. This is our culture's stance towards God. Some are very aggressive, but I think for a lot of people, it's just the ignoring of God, which is still a rejection of God. It's still a rejection of God. But because God loved us, he gave us the solution. And this is the gospel. And the solution is Jesus. The solution is Jesus. As we believe and receive by surrendering our life to Christ, we become children of the Most High God. John 1.12, But to all who did not receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This, this is the gospel, and I know that many of us here today, we know this. But I think sometimes we fail to actually internalize it and to own it and to stand firm on it because if we realized 
the power of the gospel, I think it would affect our stance. I think it would enable us to stand firm because the gospel, it penetrates and it transforms and it takes over our life. It's what we love. It is what we talk about. And I want to say again, I know that many of us, we know it up here, but sometimes have we put it here? Are we really standing firm on the gospel? It is the power. It is the power and the hope for us. It is the power and it is the hope for our community. It is the power and it is the hope for Seattle and the world as we stand firm. Because the, the Apostle Paul, he's looking at the Galatians, and he's like, you're not standing firm. You're confused about this. And he's saying, stand firm. In other words, he's saying, commit to where you're standing. Make a commitment. See, commitment is important in any relationships. Any relationships that you have, you know that one of the core values for it needs to be commitment, doesn't it? If you're in a business relationship, the thing that makes that business relationship work is what? Commitment. The other partner needs to be committed to what's going on, or you will constantly be questioning and wondering. As you work in a team and you make an assignment, you need to have the confidence that that person is committing to do what they have agreed to do. How many managers know that's a big challenge out there sometimes? In every relationship, it is our willingness to commit that builds on success. See, when Paul used the word stand there, that word stand actually means to persevere. It means to continue in a course of action even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. That's what stand means. Have you ever been standing in a stand for something and you're like, I know this is right, but success seems like a far goal of mine out in front. But I know that I'm standing on it because I'm committing to it. And one of the greatest challenges to the early church was heresy. It was the false teachings. And Paul addresses this in all of his letters. In Ephesians, he addressed it when he, when he warns them not to be led away by every wind of doctrine. There are winds blowing by us all the time. If you look on social media, there's winds blowing all the time, saying all kinds of things, aren't there? And Paul's saying, stand firm. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Stand firm on it. Because when it comes to commitment, we already have a great example. Our example of commitment is Jesus. See, Jesus defined what commitment looks like. Some look at Christianity and they say the, the, the cost is great. See, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and to follow him. But instead of Jesus saying, well, you go ahead and do it. You deny yourself and then I'll follow you. What does Jesus do? He said, I'll show you what commitment looks like. I'll go first. I'll give my life for you. Knowing that not everybody would follow him. This is what commitment looks like for the Christian. Following Jesus, I'll show you how it's done. I'll surrender. I'll be willing to die first. But see, this is different from other relationships. See, other relationships, they want you to die first, don't they? They may offer you something, but first they're like, what have you got? What are you willing to give to this? Are you willing to commit? Because before I commit, I want to know where you are. I want to know if you're willing to rise up. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus gave his life. He served. He died to himself first. He showed us the way. See, Jesus is not just part of our foundation as it relates to the gospel and to our life. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. 
That's why as it relates to the gospel, and this is what Paul is coming back to, he's saying it is all or none. We don't take just part of Jesus. We're not making this recipe book here. We'll do a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It is all or none. See, those who work in construction and engineering, they know this when they're building a foundation. When you're building a foundation, the foundation has to be pure to the specs, to what it was designed for. And even when you look at a building that they're spending a lot of time in the foundation, they're digging deep. We always know the deeper they go, the higher the building is. The more time they spend on that foundation, the stronger it is. Because if the foundation cracks, what happens to everything else? Everything else cracks. Everything else falls. Everything falls away. See, this is the gospel. That's why the apostle Paul in this, he's saying, don't add anything in it. Stay away from anything that seeks to add to the gospel. When we try to add to it, when we try to pull in everything that the Judaizers were trying to pull into it and add to it, we end up rejecting the grace through faith that we've been saved through. We don't add to it. Do you know that foundation problems are some of the biggest problems to fix in a building? Because once you start building on it, and once the foundation is done, the building goes up relatively quickly, quickly especially compared to the foundation. But oftentimes when engineers and builders go in and, and they're looking at a house or they're looking at a building and the foundation is wrong, the value of the house goes way down, doesn't it? Even when you're looking at buildings, when the foundation is wrong, everything becomes questionable. Well, what else did they miss? Why is it cracking? Did they not do ground studies? Was this never inspected? The foundation is important. That's why we don't add. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, and even in this passage... He's saying this is why focusing on the law confuses people about Jesus. When we talk about Jesus to people and we focus on the law and the rules and morality, it gets to be very confusing. That's the culture that I grew up in. I grew up in a culture that every conversation about Christ and every conversation about Jesus became about what I should do and what I should not do. Have you ever been there? Now, granted, there's things you should do and things you should not do. But when we talk about Jesus and we talk about the law and we talk about the morality, what it becomes is it becomes that, well, Jesus is just out to make me a better person. Jesus is just out to make me another law abider. But that's not what Jesus is out to do. Jesus is out to transform you and to restore you and to bring you back to the original design of being a child of God. All of those things we look at through the lens of faith. The Apostle Paul talked about that several weeks ago. Actually, he talked about it several thousand years ago, but we talked about it a couple weeks ago in this Galatians series. We look at it through the law of faith because it doesn't make sense without that. There's no way that we can live the life that God has called us to without Jesus, and that's by faith. It's the grace that's been afforded to us. This is why Jesus said in John 13, he said, it is by your love that people will know that you are mine. It is by your love for each other, the way you love each other, that people will know that you are mine. That cannot be accomplished by a group of laws. We don't walk into a loving relationship and say, do you love me? Yes, here's all the rules. Here's everything I ask of you. Have you ever experienced that? I experienced that in the first grade. This little girl said, do you want to be my girlfriend or be my boyfriend? I said, yeah, I'd love to be your boyfriend. Here's everything I like. And she gave me a little list. That relationship didn't last very long. 
Because we don't legislate love, do we? In walking with Christ, it's allowing him to come in and transform us. He is speaking to us. He is alive in us. He's showing us. That's why when I surrendered my life to Christ, I began thinking differently. The Holy Spirit began to come in and do what a lot of people call quickening my spirit to say, that's wrong, Dwayne. This is the way you should go. Go this way. As the Holy Spirit came alive in me, I had to spend a lot of time with my youth pastor trying to overcome those that would want to put the lens of the law in front of it. It's Jesus. We look through Jesus by faith. The order is very important. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying this is the gospel, so stand firm. Stand firm, love each other. My prayer is that the world around us, the community that we are in, would look at Shoreline Community Church and all the other churches in the area and say, look at how they love each other. Look at how they care for each other. Not that we want to be in this bubble. We want to be reaching out and loving our neighbor and serving our neighbor. But when they look at this community, they should see a community that loves each other, that walks with each other. The communities in Seattle and the shoreline that are thriving and that people are running to are communities that are filled with people who care about each other. Communities that they accept it because we were made for that. We were made for that type of community. This is a community built on Jesus Christ, the gospel. We should be a community that walks in that way. That we love each other. We accept each other. And through Jesus and his forgiveness, we receive the forgiveness from Jesus. And we forgive each other. We walk with each other. We give grace to each other. And that's hard to do, isn't it? It becomes very difficult to do. Some of us have days when we're easy to love. And some of us have days when we're not so easy to love. Don't point to anybody. You all might point at me this morning. I don't know. We all have those times. But it is through Jesus, it is through Christ, and Christ alone. This is the gospel. We need to stand firm on it. Stand firm. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm. Because when we're standing firm on the gospel, do you know what we get to do? We get to run free. We're now we're free to run. This is the running part. This is the part you're excited about. I hope Pastor Dwayne would let us run today. So I love running. See, standing firm in the gospel, it gives us the confidence to run. Sometimes we think about the gospel and we think about the salvation of Christ as being kind of a one and done. I came to an altar or I knelt at my desk or I knelt at my couch back in my house and I gave my life to Christ and now I'm done. Are you done then? No, that's when your life begins. It is now that your life begins when you're running, you're pursuing Christ. You're running what Paul calls the race. See, the race is the process of living free. And sometimes we've been made free. Jesus has spoken into our life. We've surrendered our life to him. We've confessed our sin to him. And he's forgiven and forgotten. We've been made free in Christ. And now he says run, but sometimes we act like we're not free. And this is what Paul is saying in verse 7. He's saying, who hindered you from obeying the truth? See, we all want freedom, but freedom can be very difficult. I think we've all seen enough movies and we've read enough reports to understand how difficult it is oftentimes for a prisoner to go from prison to being free in society, haven't we? And what sociologists have found out is that the longer that someone has been in prison often the more difficult it is for them to enter into society. 
Why? Because they've been living in bondage for so long. And so the doors open and say, you're free. And they're like, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to leave prison. And I think that happens a lot to us sometimes in the body of Christ, where Jesus comes in and he says, you are free. Your sins have been forgiven. Now live as my child. And we don't know how to run in that. We don't know how to run. That's why the Apostle Paul is he's coming in. He's stepping into this community that he founded, that he built, that he planted. And he's saying, you're free. Run free. You are free to run. You are free to run. But Paul realized that he had to look at them and realize what was happening. And this brings us back to that word hinder. Who hindered you? Who stopped you from doing what you're supposed to do? And so Paul makes them pay attention to two key things. He identifies something that they need to take, but then he also identifies something that they need to give. And this is for all of us. There's something that we take, but there's also something that we give in that process. And as it relates to taking, Paul comes right back to the gospel. We need to take the gospel. And for some of you, you may may be going, the gospel again, we keep talking about it, we get it, move on, but we don't get it. We we don't get it. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you're missing it. Keep going. Because a lot of times, we keep trying to add to the gospel. We keep trying to bring things in. And so then Paul uses this amazing cooking analogy, and he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What's leaven? Yeast. He's saying that a little leaven, a little bit of yeast, it leavens the whole lump. This is a great cooking analogy that talks about what leaven is. See, leaven is used to expand and to soften the bread. How many of that's making you hungry for lunch right now? Okay? See, leaven, it's something that's used to expand it and to soften it. But as we look at the property of yeast, we know that once yeast is in, can you get it out? You can't get it out. Yeast actually transforms the bread. There's no way to go in and say, oh, I shouldn't have put that yeast in. I'm going to start pulling it out. It is in there because the yeast begins this transformative process. And yeast is one of the smallest amounts compared to the rest of the ingredients that we put in. It takes just a little bit. And when we continue down this analogy and we look at how yeast is used in the Bible, that in the Bible, yeast is often used to symbolize sin and false teaching. So the Apostle Paul is saying just a little bit of sin changes the whole lump. Just a little bit of bad teaching changes the whole lump because the gospel is pure. And he's saying your temptation may be to add to the gospel. You may be walking, you may be hitting a wall and go, well, maybe I should be adding something to it. Maybe this is not as firm as I thought it was, so I need to start adding some things to it. Maybe I can make it better. Maybe I can make the gospel better. And sometimes we do this even in communicating it to our friends. We talk to our friends about Jesus, and we talk to our friends at work, and we go, man, some of this stuff is hard. It's in giving up your life that you gain it. It's in surrendering. It's in dying to yourself. Man, that's such a bummer. That's a downer. Why do I want to talk about that? So we start trying to make it lighter and fluffier for people to kind of absorb. Have you ever been guilty of that? Just raise your hand and say, I'm Dwayne, and I'm a sinner. I've done that. Because we want people to see the bread. We want them to enjoy it. But when we add to it, we've actually taken away from it. Because, see, the recipe looks something like this. Jesus plus anything is nothing. It's not the gospel. When you add to Jesus, you've lost it. 
You're no longer engaged with the gospel because it's Jesus and Jesus alone. See, a recipe needs to look something like this, exactly like this. It's Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. It is Christ and Christ alone. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. It's nothing. And this goes right in line with what Paul is talking about with his running analogy. See, running, as I talked about earlier, I love to run. Now, I've been neglectful recently since becoming your pastor. I'm trying to figure that out. But when I run, running became just this amazing connection for me, connection to a wonderful community. As I talked about in the beginning, how it frees my mind and helps me. But do you know what my pack looks like when I run like distance races? Like I think it was back three years ago I ran the Seattle Half Marathon. And when I ran, this was my pack. It's simple. It's light. It's got a couple of hydration water bottles in there. When you open it up, it's got one little pack of energy gel, sea salt chocolate. When you go into the other pack, because this is for distance running, it's got a little energy bar in there. It didn't help me a lot, but it sure helped me pass the time. But this was my pack. It was light. It was easy. It was simple. It's the gospel, Jesus plus nothing. Because when you're running, you need to be free. And as you're running, we know that Jesus goes before us in our race. He knows what we need. He knows the obstacles that we're going to hit. So just like they did at the Seattle Half Marathon, they had hydration stations along the way when they knew that you would be tired and need something to drink. They had nutrition stations along the way. Seattle Marathon did not pay me to to do this endorsement, by the way. But they had nutrition stations along the way where they knew when you would need something. This is how Jesus works with us. He goes before us. He makes things ready for us. Because he knows what we need before we need it. But we have to trust the process. We need to go, I'm good. I've got the gospel. It's me and you, Jesus. We're going to run this race. But sometimes when we're running the race, instead of taking that little pack, we try to take this pack. How many want to run with this big thing? See, this is what Satan does to us. We go on this long race, and he says, that's all you're going to take? You're just going to take that little pack? Man, you're going to get hungry, you're going to get tired, you're going to want to sit down, so let's take that pack, but let's add to it. Let's put some things into it. So Satan tries to fill it up, and sometimes it seems like good things. He does things like he'll put in a breakfast skillet, dehydrated thing for you so you can eat along the way. He'll say, you know, you might get bored, so I'm I'm going to give you some games along the way. Let's put those games in your pack. Let's put some beef stroganoff in your pack. Let's put some Cafe Vita from Starbucks in there that's five years old and expired, but that's going to be delicious for you. I have this in my pack as well. And he says, you know what? But that's not enough. If you're going to run, you need more stuff to go on here. There's more stuff to do because you might get really hungry for a hot meal, so you're going to need this cooking packet in here. So as before you get it on this race, let's throw that in there. And you know what? You're going to need a nice chair to sit down. So Satan gives us a nice chair to sit down and say, just stay there. He says, you know what? You might just want to lay down along that Seattle half marathon course and take a little nap. So here's a shelter for you. Here's something to lay in. And he puts a tent in our bag. And he says, you know what? Here's a nice sleeping bag. I want you to lay down and I want you to sleep. I want you to give up running. And it may seem funny, but that's how we live our life. 
It's the gospel and nothing. Satan comes along and says, well, hey, how about this? Jesus is good, but let's add this stuff to it. Let's put this. And he tries to wear us down through the weight of sin. He tries to sometimes wear us down with things that seem good. Well, food is good. Eating is good. How can that be wrong? This is not the gospel. And we add to it and we add to it. And Jesus says, it's Jesus alone. It's Jesus alone. Because when we do this, Jesus is weeping over us. Do you know who's laughing? Satan is laughing. He's saying, that's right. And I got a lot more stuff for you back. But Paul's saying, you've been free. If you need to rest, Jesus will take care of you. If your money is running out and you need some help, Take everything to the Lord in prayer. Talk to the body of Christ. Talk to the body of believers. Don't add to the gospel. Don't fall into Satan's biggest tactic. Do you know what Satan's biggest lie is oftentimes to believers, or especially to new believers? As it relates to sin, he'll say, just a little bit's okay. You can handle it. You can handle a little bit of compromise. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard it inside your head before? You hit a wall and you go, I just need to get over this wall. I don't want to give up this relationship. I don't want to give up this job. I don't want to go down that path. I want to go down this path, and I think I'm strong enough to take care of it. Jesus will forgive me. Is Jesus faithful to forgive? Yes, he's faithful to forgive. But just like that prisoner, the more time you spend in prison, the harder it is sometimes to recognize you've been made free. We put all these walls up in front of us. And the whole time Satan is just laughing, just filling our pack, going, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. Do you know how many people in my family have done that? Do you know how many friends of mine have done that? Do you know how I've been tempted to do that? This is not the gospel. This is not the gospel. Jesus looks at us and he says, get rid of that pack. What are you doing? Do not know where you're standing. Stand firm on the gospel. Be free. I didn't make you to carry this pack full of stuff. I have everything that you need. I want you to run free because you know what I want you to do as you're running free? I want you to fulfill freedom's purpose. And Paul says it here in verse 3. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, being free is not about our flesh. Being free is not about ourselves. Paul says it very well. Walking down this path, it brings slavery. It brings bondage to yourself, but it also brings bondage to those that are around you. Because no one is an island. We all affect each other. When we start putting things in our pack, someone starts looking at you and go, well, hey, maybe I should put stuff in my pack because Pastor Dwayne's putting stuff in his pack and he loves to hike. Maybe I should start doing that. And we start confusing our neighbors. See, we've been made free to love one another. Not to wear ourselves down, not to add to the gospel. 
It is simple and clean and pure. And the thing is, our culture gets that. When you talk about eating clean, eating pure, watching out for contaminants and protecting the water around us and taking care of the earth and being clean, you are speaking the language of our culture. But why do we do it there and not do it as it relates to God, as it relates to our spirit, our soul that lives forever? See, the law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself. But just like Jesus showed us what commitment looks like, he also showed us what love looks like. In John 13, Jesus said, a new command I give you. He said, love one another, not just as you would love each other. He said, but love one another as I have loved you. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. Because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you know when Jesus said this to his disciples? Just before he gave his life. Just before he died. See, at the Last Supper, Jesus fed them. He washed their feet. He served them. And he defined what love looks like. And as the worship team returns and as the ushers prepare as we enter into a time of communion this morning, I I want you to hear this. Jesus defined love, but it wasn't soft or emotional or this mushy kind of love. It was sacrificial. It was giving. It was strong. It was a commitment. It was Jesus going before us and saying, you know what, I'm going to show you what it means. I'm going to die for you first. Jesus was the first one. This is what love means. And today as we wrap this up, boy, I could think of no better response than for us to respond by gathering around the Lord's table. The ushers are preparing. They're going to be bringing it forward. And as you hold that bread, as you take that cup today, I want you to hold on to it for a minute, and then I'll come back and I'll lead us in it. But I want you to look at those elements and and make this a time of confession for you and the Lord. And say, God, where am I adding to the gospel? What are the things that I've allowed Satan to put into my pack? And that can be deceptive because it can be good things. These are all good things. But it's not the gospel. What are the things that are getting in the way? Hold that. Maybe it relates to loving your neighbor. It's by our love. This is a great time to say, you know, Lord, who is a neighbor in my life that I'm not loving? Who is a neighbor in my life that I'm ignoring? Are there parts of my life, parts of my world where I'm ignoring you, where I'm rejecting you? This is open communion, meaning that if you've given your life to Christ, you surrender your life to Christ, you're, you're a part of the body of Christ. This is for you. But the table is also an invitation. Jesus was continually inviting people to his table. And if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, this is a great time just to confess your belief in him, to confess your sin, say, Lord, I'm sorry for ignoring you. I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me.
and receive that and become. Amen. Lord, lead us in this time. We pray in your name. Amen. Ushers, you can go ahead and disperse the elements. But again, if you would, hang on to them and allow the Lord to speak to you through them and then I'll come back here in a minute. And together as the body of Christ, we're going to receive. We're going to receive from the Lord what he would give to us today.